Welcome to Sober Sisters Talk. I'm MG. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell. Welcome. The speaker series happens once a month. This will be part of our weekly Zoom meeting that happens every Friday night. If you would like to be a part of that meeting, you have to be female. And send us an email at SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. If you would like to tell your story, please reach out to SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. We want to have more stories out there in order to help other women. And here's our next speaker. Thanks for listening. Also, we'd love to invite you to a Zoom meeting this Friday night at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you're interested, email SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com and we'll send you the meeting information and password. We hope to see you this Friday. I uh, met Rita. First, I heard about Rita. I had two really good friends that had Rita as a sponsor and they were talking about her all the time. Well, Rita says, well, Rita says, (laughs) and, uh, I was like, who is this Rita? And the first time I think that we met in person, it was at an ABM, an annual business meeting. I was um, a delegate and, um, you know, serving in at, at that role for SLAA. And we hit it off right away. We just have like so many um, similarities and um, can click. And she's one of those people like sat down at breakfast and it was like, I didn't want to leave. It was just this, you know, really easy conversation. She has a, um, and excuse my language, but I don't know how else to do it. A fucking amazing story, you guys. And um, there's so many components to it that you would never expect. And um, I just love hearing stories. I, I love the bonding that takes place in a meeting when, when you get to hear somebody's story. It's like we all have this trauma bond and we all get to go through it together. So um, she's gonna share her stories and then afterwards we'll open it up for short um, shares, however much time we have. So thank you. And thank you for saying yes to me, Rita. Thank you. Uh, MG, if you could let me know when I'm at 30 minutes, you know, like this or this. <laughs> Thank you. My name is Rita and I'm a sex and love addict. And when I say I'm a sex and love addict, I mean, I suffer from every variation or self-definition that you can think of. And as I share my story and my recovery, you'll hear that. Um, and we have a, a pamphlet called uh, Anorexia, right? And that came out in 1992. And I love the way it was the first time I realized when I say I'm a sex and love addict, it's all encompassing. I don't have to tell you I'm an anorexic because that's part of sex and love addiction. So in the pamphlet, it says, and Sex and Love Addicts uh, Anonymous, we suffer, we suffer from addiction to sex, love, relationship, fantasy, romance, and codependency. We also suffer from anorexia. Anorexia is the compulsive avoidance of giving or receiving social, sexual, or emotional nourishment. I always find this pamphlet very relevant to me because I came in this program January 2000. That's over 21 years ago. And uh, at that time, 
uh, I had been, I was 52. I was, so that means I'm 73. Make the math easy for you here. Um, I had been an AA and medicator free for over five years. It took me that long to see this addiction. And at that time, the addiction manifested as three sober monogamous relationships with members of the program and always having sex first. And then after the honeymoon, the, the sexual attraction intrigue was over, I would spend the next year trying to get out of the relationship. And I would be thinking, you know, I don't like this person. I don't trust them. What the heck am I doing here? So um, I started in my sharing uh, in uh, the beverage program that I think I'm a sex addict. And luckily someone here in Montreal came up to me and said, well, there is an S fellowship. There's one English speaking fellowship here. And so uh, that's how I came into the rooms. Now, when I came in, I thought, give me a year. That's all I need. Here I am 21 years later, because what I find is my addiction manifests differently at different times. You could never have told me I was anorexic in my first five, 10 years. However, as time has gone on, and especially more in the last five years, maybe seven, I recognize I've been sexually anorexic. I'm also socially and emotionally. And what's so interesting is that I'm so busy, you don't think that I'm anorexic, but I am, and my sponsor knows that I am. Now, I've had a sponsor in this program uh, since January 2003, and uh, that's 18 years. That's a long-term relationship and commitment. My AA sponsor is 27 years. I'll be uh, celebrating March 15th, 27 years of um, uh, uh, sobriety from alcohol and medicator. Thank you very much. <laughs> so um, my sobriety date in this program though, is May 11th, 2004. After four, a little over four years in the program, I had a slip and the slip at that time was I had a bottom line behavior, no sex in a new relationship for 12 weeks. At nine weeks, I thought, oh, I think I can do this, right? I think I don't think I have to wait 12 weeks. But uh, within that first few days, I wanted to fire my sponsor, quit SLAA, and I wanted to drink after a few more days. And I thought, no, I've got to surrender at a deeper level now. So that's what I did. I surrendered, and you better believe I didn't take a step without my sponsor my sponsor's approval or, or making sure I did certain things. Now, um, what I'd like to share and how I share my story in recovery is two ways. One, to tell you what my bottom line behaviors are. I think it's important, especially for that newcomer, because we're self-defined. And because we're self-defined, I find um, it takes some time in the beginning, I had like 10, 12 bottom line behaviors. Uh, but over the years, I could take some of them off. In January, normally I'll review a bottom line 
behavior. And I don't just say, oh, I don't think I need to do that anymore. I have to go through this exercise. And it's called the pros and cons exercise. And I have to state what's the action. I want to remove that I cannot attend um, uh, gay meetings because when I'm at gay meetings, I, I kind of act out, I intrigue. So when it came time that I felt safe enough for me in those meetings, I would do a pros and cons. You know, what's the pros? Well, it's no longer an issue for me. What's the con? It could trigger me. What, and then I'd have to list my motives and my uh, fears, the, cons the consequences and the expectations. And what that exercise does is gets it out of my head onto a piece of paper, discuss it with my sponsor, and then wait 24 hours for my higher power to, to continue to work in me. But getting back to my bottom line behaviors, uh, the other thing I like to reference is the five S's. And the five S's are in our five resources of our preamble. And our preamble is from our basic text, 1985. But in 2003, you know, these five resources that are all S's. So for me, sobriety is based on my bottom line behaviors. And if I act out on a bottom line behavior, I have slipped and I need to reset my sobriety date. Okay, so my first bottom line behavior is no uh, talking to shock or seduce. That was my MO to, um, to seduce men and women, young and old, throughout uh, my early years, up until I got into this program. And I began to rec recognize that's a behavior I can't do anymore. And in the last five years, I've started seeing um, a CSAT therapist, a certified sex addiction therapist. And she asked me, what are your bottom line behaviors? Because she knows I'm in SLAA. And I tell her, and she says, you know, that's exhibitionism. You know, that, that cut me like a, like a knife. I had never thought of myself as an exhibitionist. But you see, this is what's so interesting about our fellowship we know certain behaviors aren't good for us. We work on them, but because I stay, I find out more about me, things that I've done that I didn't recognize. So that was that, and I have to keep that one. There's another aspect to set, uh, no talking to shock or seduce, and that's over uh, disclosure. That was another habit of mine in getting to know people. And I share that at this point because I'm dating. I left a 10-year relationship four years ago. Um, I, uh, it took me a good year of grieving to let it go. It was probably the best relationship and most sober recovered relationship I've ever had. But even in recovery, there are no guarantees something will last forever. So I, I took a year uh, of, um, of grieving. Uh, we were both in SLAA, had separate uh, home groups, both in AA. We were doing RCA. We would do couple therapy when it was necessary, but it there came a point that we had to let it go. And uh, of course, as I'm hitting my 70s, I'm thinking, um, you know, I'm aging. I'm not sexual anymore. I, I'm postmenopausal. I don't have the same uh, libido I had. 
And yet, uh, in the past year, I recognize that was my sexual anorexia. There's no doubt, as a woman, and I think men too, we go through, we don't have the same uh, arousal or the same uh, desire as when we were younger, but it doesn't mean we're dead. And um, so I've had the, the opportunity to kind of explore my sexuality. And I do have a uh, sober self-pleasure plan. I've had it for many years and um, it serves me well in the sense, um, and I use it uh, with my, um, and when I say I use it, I encourage my sponsees uh, to have 90 days of abstinence from sex with self or others. And um, in order to reprogram the, uh, the sober self-pleasuring or masturbation, Okay, so um, I'm now starting to date. And so that goes to my first bottom line behavior, no talking to shock or seduce or over disclose. And it's amazing. Um, I'm uh, on a dating website um, that I find that there's a lot of women like myself who, who they're not dead yet either. They, they want to socialize and for me, uh, one of my, my top line is to be open and available to socialize and date outside the program, you know, with my peers, because I tend to do so much service and so much um, in the program that I need to really have a top line for this. And recently, I've started reporting on a weekly basis to my sponsor what I'm doing to socialize with friends as far as the dating, getting to know people. Okay, uh, so uh, my second bottom line behavior is no returning to past partners to protect my supply. And uh, in today's language, that is the gift of no contact. And the gift of no contact now is a yellow booklet. It is fantastic because it's not just about our qualifiers. It can be about family members. And uh, it's a very uh, good pamphlet came out in the last couple of years. But at the time I was developing my bottom line behaviors, I have a history. You see, <laughs> I keep like a supply. I keep my supply so that if, if uh, in the beginning I used to have, uh, I had a 16 year relationship from 24 to 40. And I went from Los Angeles to Montreal and all during that relationship, I had numerous affairs with men and women. Uh, I would travel. Um, my partner didn't know about this. It was devastating to her when she found out. And um, uh, it devastated myself because at some point, and that's when I, be I began to realize a committed monogamous relationship is important. But what I would do is, I would act out with past partners while being in the long-term relationship. And it was just a habit, a bad habit of mine. And, um, and it was how it manifested for me. My um, third bottom line behavior is no sex outside a committed monogamous relationship. Now, I, I mentioned that in AA, I had had three sober monogamous relationships, but they were always based on sex first. Well, I learned in this program, I need to get to know somebody first. So um, I came up with a bottom line behavior, 
no uh, no sex out, uh, outside a committed monogamous relationship means six months it takes me to decide to be committed. I mean, I need to get to know the person. My other bottom line behavior, no sex in a committed monogamous relationship for six months. I have to wait a year because sex is like a handshake to me. Uh, all my life, you smile at me and I'm going to go to bed with you. It's just the way I operated over the years. So I had to put in these bottom line behaviors to slow me down, to teach me intimacy, not just sexuality and physicality and excitement and intensity. And uh, we have some good uh, audios, by the way. There's one called Intensity Versus Intimacy um, on our uh, FWS website, uh, the store there. And there's some of those old 1990s, 2001, 2005, if you get a chance, get some of those audios. Uh, they're, they're really priceless and precious. And they really helped me in the beginning understand some of the things I was going through. Now, what I also want to talk about is uh, in saying um, a committed monogamous um, relationship, one of the first women I was dating in the summer, she was polyamorous and she was non-binary. Now, I consider myself a fairly, uh, what can I say? Uh, I used to think of myself as pretty hip, <laughs> pretty with it. I, I knew things, but I didn't understand non-binary. I had to look it up and Google it. I had to talk with her about it. And then this polyamorous, what does that mean? I had started hearing it at some of our annual business meetings you know, to get rid of certain words and our basic text and our literature. And so I got a real education. Well, my thinking was, oh, well, then if, if I'm dating someone who's non-binary and polyamorous, do I have to change my bottom line? So I do my pros and cons with my sponsor. And she says, Rita, <laughs> she says, has anything changed for you? No, it hasn't. I still want to be in a committed monogamous. That's me. Now, if the woman I'm dating or who may become my partner wants to be polyamorous, that is hers, right? But it's just very interesting how I got all mixed up with this new dating experience. Um, so uh, that then I have, okay, now my fifth one, my fifth bottom line behavior. It's um, no masturbating while driving at high speeds in a car. And I had that right away, okay? And, and I, that was one of my first bottom lines when I first came in. And I may have only done it a handful of times, but I knew there was something not right about that. And uh, it would be when I was taking long, these long drives to Michigan. I'm from Detroit, Michigan. And uh, my mother at the time had, had um, <laughs> hi, hi there, Tasha, uh, from Detroit. <laughs> so um, I would drive to Detroit, it's nine, 10 hours, right? And uh, it'd be in the middle of the night and I would get this strong urge to masturbate in the car. And I'm doing, you know, 120 kilometers an hour and I 
so that was my first one. Now, I never thought it was exhibitionist, right? It's in the dark. No one can see in my car. What about the truck drivers, my sponsor said? Well, it's still dark. And then the other thing, it's dangerous. I could have an accident. So exhibitionist, dangerous. Oh, and this is the one that really got me. It's against the law. It's criminal behavior to be doing that. So, you know, I mean, I think I'm safe in my car. Well, it's not. So um, I have to keep that on because I do, the thought comes to me every now and then. And being from Detroit, my car was my first love affair. I was 16. I worked all summer to save up $250 to buy a 1957 Ford Fairlane. That's in 1963. I loved that car. Served me all the way through high school. To this day, I have a car, but I respect my car and I don't mistreat her or myself in my car anymore. The other one is um, uh, no masturbating with inappropriate objects. And I don't know why I ever got into that habit or why I would ever do it, but um, I need to remember I cannot use inappropriate objects. Now, I, those are, are my bottom line behaviors and I have an accessory behavior. And um, the accessory is no objectification, which is sexualization of men in particular, but also women. And that's looking at their body parts. And the reason is it's accessory is that what I find is Sometimes I'll be watching TV or I'll um, be driving and I'll start to focus on a body part. And I catch myself and I'm wondering what, what's going on, Rita. It's, it's, um, it's like an alert to myself to remind myself, stay in the present moment. Don't go off somewhere, uh, fantasizing, daydreaming or whatever it is that I do. Just come back. All right, and um, that's very helpful for me. Um, so that's my that's my sobriety. Now the five S is besides sobriety. I've got to get a sponsor and get to meetings. And like I said, I thought I'd only be in this program one or two years. Well, come to find out, my addiction um, keeps unfolding. Even today, it keeps unfolding for me. And I find um, it's important for me not only to stay, but to listen, to hear, because I, I hear and I, I am, ref you reflect me, right? And so when you share your stories, there may be a variation I can identify. And if I don't keep coming back, it doesn't matter how old I am. I, can, I am still a sex and love addict and I can still be acting out in some form or fashion. Uh, so then um, besides the sobriety, uh, getting a sponsor, uh, in those early days, I spent a lot of money acting out. I would spend money on road trips. I'd drive down to um, Mid-Maine, Winslow for 12-step retreats. Then I heard about the Chester, Vermont, uh, New England intergroup, 12-step retreats. That's how I met my sponsor. I started going in 2002, December, on an annual basis for the steps there. We would do the chapter four of the basic text and go through those. 
And I find that the holidays, and I'd always go in mid-December, because at the holidays, I, I'm triggered. A lot of stuff, family of origin stuff comes up for me. Um, a lot of sadness. It is not a pleasant time. As a little girl, my mom and dad would get drunk on Christmas Eve, and they wouldn't be present during the day, you know, on Christmas morning, because they had gotten themselves so drunk and messed up. And one year, our Christmas tree was out on our front lawn because they would have these knockdown, drag out fights. So I found that working the steps, going to 12 step retreats was really important to me. And I also got a chance to see my sponsor because she was normally at these 12 step retreats. If not leading them, then at least uh, coaching those of us who were learning how to lead them. But it, it really protected me over the holidays and especially with family. The other thing, uh, a part of the five S's besides sobriety, getting a sponsor, doing the steps, and not just once, over and over again, um, is um, service. And uh, I learned about service in AA, so it was easy for me coming into SLAA to get involved in service. In fact, it was, it was easier than being in AA. AA here in Quebec, you have to be bilingual. And even though I stutter and stammer in my best French as a professional and in the stores and things, it still is not good enough, um, in my opinion, to do the service that I do uh, in SLAA in English. Um, I took uh, to service like a, a duck to water. I just love it. I love to organize. I love to do reports. Uh, I like... It's just something I enjoy doing. And uh, by 2008, I was invited to uh, serve on the board. And this is after we had moved from, um, from Boston in January 2006 to uh, um, San Antonio, Texas. And in 2008, I got on and I got a chance to visit the office and uh, fell in love with Texas, you know, uh, San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, I used to take road trips. I'd go for two weeks and just travel all over and attend meetings and, and get to know uh, Texans. And uh, I'm very fond of Texas now. And uh, the other service I do is uh, with my Montreal intergroup. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was their intergroup chair. And uh, I told them before I die, and this did motivate them. They were very touched by this. I said, before I die, I want to see a basic text in French. Well, we got our four chapters, and we've just finished the other four chapters. So, you know, it's, uh, it's funny. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, I've had an opportunity to make an impact and to be part of. And there's something else about doing service which is it stretches my comfort zone. It, it helps me practice the traditions and the concepts more. It actually, those are our spiritual principles. And that brings me to the fifth S, right? The fifth S is spirituality. And, and I don't, even though it's number five on the S's or resources, it really starts in, with, with the first, admitting I'm powerless. There's something I think very spiritually based about 
admitting I am powerless, there's nowhere else to go now. I need help. And uh, that brings me to my knees, so to speak. I grew up Southern Baptist. I was a Sunday school teacher at 16, but by 18, when I went to university, Wayne State University, uh, all hell broke loose. I was dating a, a married cop. I was <laughs> seeing a uh, 23 year old uh, lesbian woman from when I was a car hop um, from 16 to 18. I mean, I was all over the place. And, um, but uh, when I hit bottom, uh, my higher power, I got a chance. I couldn't say God in the beginning. I could say good. Uh, but then what happened was I was able to um, develop my understanding of my higher power. And that was very, um, that took time. That took practicing the steps, you know, and reading them like step 11. What does that mean? And it's a very, you know, in the beginning, I'd read all these books and I do yoga. I do, um, you know, these meditations and um but, and I'd go on silent retreats, three to five days of silent retreats at the local monasteries here. And, but it was by doing all of that, that I found my higher power, my good, so to speak. And, and my understanding that um, higher power is expressing in all of us all the time. I don't have to be as rigid today about how I practice my knowing my understanding of my higher power um, but i definitely feel it and it comes through gratitude you know being grateful to be alive and kicking still at 73 uh, soon to be 74 and uh, know that my life's not over yet and um, i've just recently uh, there have been a lot of people back and forth and you know, in my uh, dating profile, I didn't want anyone older than me because I don't want to take care of anyone. <laughs> I want someone active. So I chose from 64 to 75. Well, now I'm talking to this 80-year-old, you know, and she's lovely. And I'm, uh, it, you know, it just goes to show you. I think that certain things are going to be a certain way. And then I find out, no, I, you know, if I'm just open and relaxed and and willing to talk and, um, you know, get to know people, you know, I don't have to be so narrow minded. So uh, that's my story. I don't know where I'm at, MG. I didn't hear any 30 minutes. You've got two minutes left. Oh, good. Because <laughs> I didn't time this. But I um, just want to thank you for being so patient and uh, listening to me and uh, being there for me when I need you. And I still need you. I'm Rita, I'm a sex and love addict. Thank you, Rita. That's it for this month's speaker meeting. Stay tuned to Sober Sisters Talk for next month's speaker. Thank you.